Hi everyone, and welcome to the Whiteboard Podcast. Whiteboard is a podcast that invites recent design grads to be candid with faculty on their time as a student. These are the conversations that profs and students should have, but can't. Exploring the intersecting needs of students, faculty, the education system, and the job market as a whole. Welcome to the Whiteboard Podcast. My guest today is Eden Bingioba. Eden is an American secretly living in Canada for four years. <laughs> After studying a little bit of Photoshop in high school, it gave him the idea of where to go moving forward. He learned some useful skills, and from there he knew that Humber would be a good opportunity to develop his arsenal even further. The spark mm-hmm. that got into him with graphic design was for the majority the influence that he encountered on Pinterest, Behance, and just l- wanting to learn visual skills that translate into the real world. He's currently working at Prismaflex as a pre-press operator, where the main part of his job is to treat customer files like AI and PDF files. And it's just a really good position for any designers interested more in the technical side of of design. Uh His hobbies, you can mostly find Eden cycling with his friends, going downtown and exploring the city. And on top of that, he's been into trick skateboarding style and likes to play Call of Duty. Eden also started his own business officially in February of 2021. Um, him and his partner uh, have been selling streetwear luxury clothes. The brand is called STNT, Stay True, Never Troublesome, and it stands for Strong and Bold. Uh, he's still a startup, but they're going to expand this summer with sunglasses and socks for the summer collection. And I'm looking forward to this summer, and I'm also maybe looking forward to some of your products. Um, Eden, thanks for joining. <laughs> thank you so much, Eric, and thank you so much for the introduction. With the SCNT, with the Stay True, Never, uh, Never Troublesome. Yeah. So this summer, yeah, we're really trying to expand. Previously, we had the women's movement collection, so we had two designs. So the first design is called The Future Bin Women, and we're just trying to advertise it, just showcase, you know, the importance of women in this culture. And yeah, so we had that and we had the other one, which is more streetwear appropriate. But so we're pretty much going to use the, the funds that we did uh, from the sale. And we're just going to have the sunglasses for summer. Uh, we just getting the supply. So it's really exciting. It's really fun uh, when you're going to come out. Do you guys have a web page? S-T-N-T. S-O-H. A R D dot com all in one word. Oh, STNT so hard. I'll put it in the description. Awesome. So what made you I mean, you, you you're working full time, you have lots of hobbies. What made you decide I think I'll start a clothing line? The clothing line it goes back to last year, September. And that was when my partner pitched me the idea because he knew that I went to school for graphic design. And I used to show him every time my design that I did. And he was like, whoa, you're amazing, bro. You're amazing. You're the best. <laughs> so with that, he said, hey, man, um, you have all the skills and you have the talent. Why not just start making clothes with that? You know, and it was just, why not? <laughs> you start to have that business-like mindset and you start to think like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you kind of have to build your fan base if you know what i mean i think so i feel i feel like on some level i'm always marketing myself Mm -hmm. it's gross but it's gross (laughs) it's gross to say it like that but like on some level right you you're your own brand i mean it's something that you know you learn it's so you just have to constantly keep marketing to people and it's 
it's just like, hey, by the way, we're selling this new shirt. And, you know, it just kind of it starts slipping into your conversations a little bit more. Do you think that that kind of awareness, did that start in college for you or did it come later or? <laughs> I just learned that way after college. Um, and in college, I was more focused on the art and designing aspect mm-hmm. and not much on the business aspect. When you were in school, you were you were more worried about the designing. And I know in the past you've said, you know, mm-hmm. when you were in school, you were always saying, like, when do I actually start to get designing? Do you want to talk about that at all? So coming out of high school, I was 18. All we did in class was just design, design, and just design. So it's all just going to be designing, designing from here. And that's what created that mindset for me. Right. Right. And it was kind of like, I was just so obsessed. I'm like, oh, okay, I have to be really good in graphic design. And I hope everything is just graphic design for four years and two years. Did you, like, do you think, do you think you benefited from that mindset? Like, did you enjoy that experience of college? It was, I would say yes and no. Um, Yes, because when you have that mindset, you're really just focused on designing and just perfecting your craft. And that's really the one thing you have on your mind, just going at it. How can I be quicker? How can I make uh, things look better than what I did on the last project? And when you start to worry about that and start having that as your goal, you start to, you put a little bit more emphasis on the techniques and you become a little bit cleaner of your design over time. What did you do after those two years? What was life after college like for you? Did you jump into an internship? Did you jump into a job? It's a good question, Eric. So after life at Humber, um, I didn't, I was looking for internships and looking for graphic design jobs, like right after school. Um, I created my portfolio. I made some designs and even included some designs from school just to try to get an internship. And I'll look everywhere, um, LinkedIn, uh, Indeed, <laughs> Indeed, the most pop- uh, popular one. And I'll just start looking, but I never got into an internship after Humber. Oh, so what did, what did you do then? I did, I did do it, in, and there was a company called Dream Schools. I got it from the Humber website where you could get the internship through the Humber gate. Okay. And it was actually pretty useful. It was actually pretty useful. There was a couple of them that had some good opportunities. What kind of work did you do in your internship? Illustration. It was very illustration-based. That's cool. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool. It's something that uh, I wanted to do, and I still want to do uh, illustration just as a general style. It's just something about it. It's just really good. I don't know. So you you, mm-hmm. you use the Humber resources to mm-hmm. apply for an internship. You got one. I feel like mm-hmm. illustration is awesome, but did that, did you feel like that set you behind in terms of finding a graphic design career or when looking back at it and if you just just trying to find your style and trying to find what you're good at and just specializing in that i found that it's it can be a little bit detrimental sometimes because i mean when i like some when i go on indeed all the graphic design job is basically okay you have to be a graphic designer you also need website web design experience you also it's yeah it's like they already put your backpack on you at the start so yeah yeah it's a little over the top 
I have so many questions about that myself since it's like, do they actually find these people as junior designers who have this, who are, who are like unicorns who've never worked a day in their life? Like, like mm. going to get paid that much. I don't, mm. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's weird. So how did you fall into like after, after internship? Mm -hmm. um, what, what did you do next? Um, after the internship, I was trying to pursue that same internship and see if I could have an easier transition from, you know, the internship to the full workplace. As in turning, turning the internship itself into a job? Yes. Did that work out? So the internship was about three months. I was going, you know, small ways, doing small things that goes a long way just to kind of show the appreciation and that you want, you really want to stay and work there. Mm -hmm. um, I did all of that, but ultimately I didn't get the job. Do you, do you know why? Some, sometimes it's like hooked up to external funding and they only have money if they're hiring an intern and it comes mm -hmm. from the government. There's some things like that. Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. I think that's what happened because... It was pretty small when I looked at the description of the startup. So then um, how did you move from, you know, Eden does his internship? And then after that, I just went on a spree of applying spree of graphic design jobs, any jobs I could find. And also, it's, it's really good to just refine your portfolio after Humber. Yep. It's a really important tip. Um, just want to drop that in there. Yep. Can we can we talk about that a little bit more? Actually, go go ahead and expand on that. For sure, for sure. Something that you have to really start early, because sometimes I'm in. I look back and I think, oh man, I should have done this way earlier. I should have started this, you know. And then you realize it's too late. Also, the really good thing to do is just being proactive. You know, always looking for opportunities, whether it's RGD um portfolio shows i know they're doing it online now and you can always hop on and showcase your work are you a member um no i wish dude man <laughs> i know eric i know should have i should have took the rgd program ah, there's no there's no rush that's cool yeah portfolio development is so important mm -hmm. one thing i, I want to ask you how you feel about this i see a lot of pressure internally and externally on students to leave college with a sweet portfolio and to mm -hmm. like basically use the schoolwork to create a portfolio. But I also feel like that's like an unfair burden to put on people because mm -hmm. do you really want like your best as a student is still going to be some of your worst moving forward. Mm -hmm. What you can do in the summer after graduating or the, or the time after your internship is going to oh. blow away the best you did as a student, right? Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so, like, I get it. I get it. It's oh. like, I need to apply for internships. I need a sweet portfolio. But also, oh. you're not being, people aren't being fair to themselves when they think, I don't know. I, I guess just be open to the idea that I know you worked really hard on this portfolio as a student, but you're oh. going to have to redo it again. <laughs> And that always, it always sucks. It's, yeah. It's like, it's like, even when you're designing something and it's like, oh, no, it's not good enough. Come back with a better one. And it's like, but I worked so hard that you spent five hours. Um, yeah. And it's just the honest truth, honestly, with graphic design. It's going to happen a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, just redoing project, restarting over, but it's just part of the journey. It's just something that just makes you a complete designer overall. Yeah, there's like a certain like meta meta thing happening when you go over your own work and you're like, it like reinforces everything you've learned. Like, because sometimes you learn things as you go and then you don't realize you've learned them because it's so gradual. And then you look back right. and you're like, oh man, I got right. to yeah, you know what? It, it doesn't go away. Like I'm not the most prolific and long, long-lived designer in the world, but, but yeah. like I just redid my web page and mm-hmm. there's some sign. Like I made this, I made, I made custom signs, and okay. one of them I, I realized all the photos I had of it were just, just garbage, like iPhone shots <laughs> that I took. So I have to like call the owners of this shop, book a time, <laughs> drive an hour away with all my camera gear, rephotograph it, and like I'm gonna do that because. <laughs> This is my portfolio, and if I want to get yeah. contracts doing stuff, it's got to look good, right? So it doesn't go away. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's after you learn it, it's, it becomes second nature. It just, it just sticks. Mm-hmm. So you said you um, just applying to everything. And, like, I, I mean, I, I remember those nights up to 3 a.m. on LinkedIn and Indeed, just, like, writing and rewriting resume after resume. Mm-hmm. I don't know if but I'll, I'll like constantly tailor my resume for the specific job. Oh yeah. Having multiple resumes. That's oh, That's something you have to have. Like there's always, cause there's always different, they ask for different specification. It's like, okay, okay, okay. This one's more suited for illustration. This one's more suited for this type of graphic design jobs. It's always, you always got to keep like be one step ahead basically. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? I actually got a lot of mixed mixed reports on that kind of thing. Like I, I, I was talking to a recruiter and they said that if you apply, okay, so imagine I'm applying to Microsoft. Mm-hmm. I could mm-hmm. apply as a graphic designer. I could apply as a, a researcher. I could apply as a web designer. Mm-hmm. And the recruiter told me that if I apply to all three, even, at, like, even with three different resumes, that they're going to interpret that as I don't know what I want to do with my life, which sounds just dumb to me. But right. so I, I just want to I just want to get out there that even though I'm like you and I'm like, we can apply for everything and write your resume for every job and go for it. There are people who will say that's not the best approach, but it worked for you, right? Because you got a job. Oh, yeah. And at the end of it, I just got the pre-press job, the pre-press operator. <laughs> PrismaFlex. Oh, yes. PrismaFlex. And it's actually funny. I contact them on Indeed and, you know, you just apply everywhere. And it's it just becomes a routine. You wake up, it's okay, okay, it's eight AM. Okay, I have to apply. Apply mm-hmm. and just make it uh, basically a daily goal to apply it to three places every day. Or well, cool. Yeah, <laughs> and especially during summertime, it keeps you busy and productive. Basically, anything that had mentions of graphic design or mm-hmm. even Photoshop or Illustrator, I would just go on it and just apply, apply, apply. For those who don't know what prepress might be or don't only have a general idea, what's a prepress mm-hmm. operator doing? Um, so as a prepress operator, so the customer, uh, the designer would send their file to the agency, and then the agency would send that file. Um, mm. So they send us the file. There are different ways you can treat the customer's files and resize the file. If there's any text to fix or change. You're there to do that, and you're just treating the file just to get it ready to go ahead and print in the printer. And who might your customers be? Designers or print other printers or? You know, do you take the TTC? Yeah. 
Okay, um, you know sometimes on the bus stops, there's a billboard, I think it's called Astral. Okay, so Astral is one kind of client. Yeah. And there's a designer at Astral who designs a poster and sends you a file. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So it's all just a chain of commands. Designer, send it to the agency, and then the agency sends it to us, and then we can go ahead with the file at that time. And it's usually a, a PDF or an AI or a design package. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's uh, it's a, sometimes it can be a combination of all threes. A customer could send a file and he's like, okay, I don't know which one you're going to use. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to send you an AI. I'm going to send you an InDesign file. And I'm going to send you a Photoshop file. So the most common file is an AI file in PDF. And it's the easiest file to work with. And so what, um, what kind of work would you do? Like you get a file and how come you can't just send it straight to the to the printer and when i say printer i mean like the physical machine so when you send a file and uh disclaimer some numbers incoming so when you get a file and let's say the client wants it 18 feet by 12 okay so he sends you the file but it's it's not going to be to size you know on illustrator it's never going to be 18 feet maybe 10 percent of the scales you have to calculate the inches into the feet and then just make the file to that size. It's a pain in the ass, though, because Illustrator has a max size, doesn't it? Oh, yes. It gets crazy sometimes, the effects. And, you know, sometimes a client sends files that, you know, they have every effect. They have the sparking glow. They have the neon lights. They got <laughs> yeah. the stars. They want it to look really nice. And then right. the, <laughs> it's a big three gigabytes just like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember I, I did a billboard once and it maxed out it maxed out the, the max canvas size of InDesign and I was like, I don't dude, I don't know how you're gonna print this. I can't I literally cannot make this the size that it needs to be. And the pre press guy was just like, I got you, don't worry about it. I got you. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. We we appreciate it. and and like obviously mm-hmm. like resolutions start to get funky. Like, you know, everyone always says it has to be 300 DPI, but mm-hmm. does that change when you're talking about the side of a bus? Um, in the DPI, I found that it's, uh, again, it's something to pay attention to. The files I've treated, the DPI have been, it's never been below 100, I would say that. It's never been below 100. Right, because it changes, right, once things get huge and, and when they're far away. You don't need that 300 DPI, do you? Right, right. And it's it's something that kind of sticks as a, as a designer. You want to make everything looks nice, and it's like okay, three hundred DPI for the finest line, the finest elements. Mm-hmm. But we also forget that it also weighs down the file. Yeah, and it's unnecessary. Like, yeah, if you're looking at it, if if you're viewing the dot, let's say like that little speck of ink from ten feet mm-hmm. away, you you. Your visual acuity is not able to identify that pixelation. Like you, you literally can't see it. No, 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 not at all, not at all. So, so do you ever get someone sending you like a three gigabyte PDF with like, with like a thousand DPI images, and it's just making your life difficult because <laughs> it's too much? <laughs> yeah, that actually happened just this week. Oh, last week, last week on Thursday, it happened actually. <laughs> So the client sent the files, and it can be, it was really basic, honestly. And the background was just, it had this really nice gradient. But when I opened the file, 
I was shocked. There's just so many links. You know, it's like it's like the image. It's not a proper image. It's all just blocks and squares. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, blocks and squares. And how do those? Like when you have a PDF and there's a bunch of mm-hmm. images placed, or even vector elements placed in that PDFs, they show up as um, clipping masks, right? Right. And so, what does that do to you? Oh God, Eric, <laughs> it's a nightmare. Because <laughs> once the once the PDF gets, I guess, it's not really flattened, but let's use that word. Once it gets flattened. Everything is kind of just like encased in a clipping mask, and sometimes it's a clipping mask and a clipping mask and a clipping mask, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's all just a rabbit hole. It just keeps going down and down. And you can't select anything until you release the th- the clipping mask, and then that <laughs> usually causes all of a sudden something to like. All I can explain it is as like blow up. Yeah, literally, you're blowing up the whole design. Yeah, it's like okay, right click, release the first mask, the second mask, and then all the way down to the fiftieth ones. And this could just be to get at an image, right? That's covered up by some text and some vectors, and who knows, right? Because that image wasn't sized properly by the designer. Right, right, and that's a big issue. It comes in much later. Like you don't realize when you're designing it's okay, 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 but. When prepress gets to file, and that's where you can really see everything that you did. And it's just like, oh man, there's so many clipping masks in here. Do you do you notice? Like, do you ever say to yourself, "Oh man, this designer does not know what's up," or like, "Oh this 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 uh, this this girl, she really knows what she's doing." Like, does that ever happen? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You can tell when some people send files. When a client sends files, you can tell that some designers take the time to really think about prepress and the way they include certain design elements. They have the nice uh, the files nicely laid out everything is to size and sometimes you don't have to make too much changes you just so mm. sometimes from time to time you do get designers that know what they do <laughs> well in this case <laughs> it's pretty rare they, i imagine yeah. so how does that change like does that change your relationship in any way with certain companies or certain designers or clients um like seeing that difference um, you do see that, you do see the difference, and it's also gradual, like you said before, it happens over time, and you just start, you just start noticing after, it's like, huh, okay, I guess they, you know, it's not the way I perceived them, you know, before, but. Yeah, the, the reason I ask is I had Adam, Adam Rallo on this podcast a couple weeks yeah. ago. Oh, did you listen to that? Um, oh shoot! I didn't listen to the whole thing. I'm sorry. It's no, it's no problem. We we are both we both talk a lot. So, um, anyhow, Adam was talking about how developing a good relationship with your printers because they can save your butt when you screw up. And I was kind of like, later, I was like, we didn't really talk about how to develop a good relationship with a printer. You know, like sending them lots of business is one of them. But I yeah. think. I think being like a designer who understands that a human, be- another human being has to make mm. your files work is another way you can maybe do that. I'm not, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's something that all designers, you know, should have. You don't have to know too much, but just the slight modification, just thinking about, oh man, okay, someone's gonna open up this giant file full of 50 neon lights in there. You know, it's just. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's something nice to have. It, it's one of those things where like twenty percent of twenty percent of like caring will get you eighty percent of the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Eden, okay, so clients send you files and you get them printed, mm-hmm. and it's your job to kind of make sure that um, the files are able to be printed and. I know you are running a clothing business. You're, you've got a clothing line that, you're, that you've created and you're mm-hmm. the designer for that. So I'm sure that that knowledge of creating good files to go to print on a variety of materials is helping you with your business. Um, do you want to tell us about that business a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Eric. Um, so with the business and obviously working at Prisma Flex, doing pre-press work, and it all sort of comes together with the graphic design and the pre-press because then you get the design you also understand the technicality so you don't really get too caught up and you always keep that in the back of your head this is your clothing company stnt stay true never troublesome what made you get started on designing clothes uh design clothes so my partner uh teddy so yeah he studied marketing at humber for about the same length as mine, so two years. So he's very, he's a very smart guy, very talented. He knows a lot about marketing, and he's always he always wanted to start a business, even as a kid and as a younger person, he always wanted to. Um, and so he got the idea of STNT, Stay True Neville Trosom, and he's a he's a bold guy, you know, so he's always. You know, uh, in your face and always telling you everything. And he laid it out for me. He told me what we're going to sell, what design he wants for that, for the brand, for us, what we're going to represent. And he just told me the whole plan, and I just went along with it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Man, it's great to have friends like that. I was talking to um, um, Jessica Palacios last week, or no, sorry, last month, uh-huh. and she told me that like sometimes we have a tendency to kind of look look up for inspiration or look up for movement or change but Mm -hmm. a lot of the times we should be looking sideways and we should look at like our friends and network with people um well just our friends just to see like what we can do um to bring ourselves into like new worlds or new opportunities and Mm -hmm. uh it's like just something i never thought of until someone told me and it looks like you're kind of doing a similar thing yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's very important, especially, um, in my opinion, your friends and you know close ones, family, they're more prone to show support than just telling your friend for one time, just one time, hey, check out my website, and mm-hmm. yeah, they might check it out and they might buy it, but so it's very, it's very important to have you know these people that you can really trust and put your trust in and your friends. And you know they're always going to support you. And you know, sometimes you have to pull them in. <laughs> not going to lie. Not gonna, sometimes you kind of have to push the hand. But eventually it's all about networking with friends and, you know, starting the small fan base from the ground up. And how do you, so you mentioned you have um, a web page. What was the, what's the URL for that? Uh, the address is stnt so hard, all in one word, dot uh, com. What's it been like getting the word out? What's it been like um, 
just, I guess, tell us all about being a designer and starting a design company. As a designer, you already have, you have all the knowledge of how to design, how to make things look good. So you already know the techniques and it's real, it's really valuable, but also learning the business bit by bit, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it can be too much when it's all at once. Okay. You have to manage this. You have to buy this. So it's, it's uh, easier to take it step by step. Mm-hmm. And just designing for business, it's, it's fun. And it's also fun. It's something that gets forgotten lots of time, but it's really fun because he manages the business and the marketing. I showed him the design, you know, so it's kind of like a client. It kind of works like that at design. And then I'm like, okay, hey, man, what do you think of this one? You know? Yeah. And so you, are you, what kind of products do you have out right now? Do you have lines or? Yeah. So we had, we did just have a summer collection. We had um, two designs on our website already. We're selling hoodies and that was for springtime. So right now we're adapting. We're having a collection of summer sunglasses. Oh, we got the samples already. Then I was just blown away. I was like, whoa, dude, that's amazing. Yeah. How do you like how do you even begin to source like for other people who want to start their lines like how do you begin to source manufacturing and all that stuff like it's a lot especially when you think about it at first it's a lot to just go through the whole process um but a really good tip is to use AliExpress it's a it's a really big one they have everything if you want to start selling shirts they have shirts and there's like and so do they ship will they ship the shirt like printed up for you or do you get the print here the shirts here in bulk and print them here um so basically they ask for the design the you send your design to the supplier yep and they print one sample and they just send you a picture and they're like hey does this look good for your brand or is this good enough once that's established, from then on, you can just tell him to proceed and he can just make however much you want. I know I've used AliExpress for branded merch a lot. And I think Alibaba is more like when you start to get into like thousands and thousands of units versus uh-huh. hundreds of units, like roughly speaking, if I'm not mistaken. What I've seen from AliExpress, there's a lot of suppliers that just have the bulk, just the big 500,000 units. Mm-hmm. Um but there's also a lot of new small suppliers that are popping up and they're just selling units of 50s so if you're if you're kind of committed you just want to try it out just want to start it out you can small you can start with a small sample so 25 50 awesome wow man i can't i just like admire your courage to start a business right now i was gonna ask you like well, do you do like any brick and mortar stuff? Do you, do you go to any shows? Do you go to farmers markets? But it's like, I know you don't because we don't have those right now. <laughs> um, will you, do you plan to kind of get a bit of a presence in those areas? Or what do you think? Right now, I want to... Because so far, it's been our marketing has been the word of mouth. mostly. Mm-hmm. Do you use like Instagram? Do you do you buy metrics or anything like that? Do you buy ad space or anything like that, or just completely all you, all generated by you? Um, we buy. We don't buy ads, but we do have a marketing page on Instagram. I can give you also give you the link. Uh, it's called STNT Season. 
And that's how we build build, uh, the fan base. And so far, yeah, the word of mouth has been working pretty well. But um, it's always good to expand this business. You never want to stagnate, you know? Oh, dude, I I wish I would have learned that when I was... If you're not growing, you're shrinking. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because everything around you is getting bigger, and it, it's like it's like frightening, but it's also like amazing and inspiring at the same time. I, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a scary thing to realize, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. where do you where do you get inspiration for all of for all of this? How do you stay well like lit up and, as a designer? It's really important to. Just go outside. <laughs> really, um, go outside, looking at the billboards, look at all the ads surrounding you, and just absorbing it like a sponge, you know? Huh, the sort of the built world, the lived world. Anything else? Even Instagram. You know how you like something on Instagram and it just comes over like 20 times? It's, hey, you liked this one before. I don't so, have any social media. <laughs> Oh no, Eric! Instagram also has a lot of graphic design accounts that you can follow. Some have illustration pages. I follow a couple of abstract pages on Instagram, illustration based. And it's just inspiration, you know, just scrolling on Instagram. You're outside in your room, you're just scrolling and you just casually get inspired by that. That's awesome. What about what about cannabis as a form of inspiration? I know some people who just they just use cannabis most often you know very common yeah. and they're able to come up with amazing stuff and it's always you're creative already but when he uses it you know it's just something else he just makes amazing designs really creative illustrations so that's also an alley of inspiration and it's not really just limited to design is right. it like all sorts of people like right. uh, i don't know musicians there's this old jazz singer named Louis Armstrong, and he used to just sing all day, just use it all day, make amazing music, go to the club, and everyone would like their song. So uh, it's fair to say that the cannabis definitely inspired his music. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not like it's not like the world has forgotten Louis either, right? Like, so. yeah. I mean, how many, like, not a year goes by where they don't use one of his songs in a movie or <laughs> covers it or, like, it's just constant, constantly alive and timeless. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's, he's still there, he's still there. Yeah, People are still playing songs. Um, what, then what about music? I mean, does music feed into design at all? The music, from what I've seen and what I, my own experience is really, really helpful. So I'm more of a so I listen to music based on mood. So basically, when I'm designing, I just want to play music that makes you feel good. Just want to design, and it just goes a long way, Eric. It goes a long way. I guess design language exists all over the place. Oh yeah, yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I actually feel like everyone in their own way is a designer. You know, anyone can develop the skill. Yeah, develop, develop, and even. But what do you think about um just encouraged yes that's a big one too yeah like if if people don't tell you your ideas are good from a young age Mm -hmm. i don't think you're gonna keep having ideas oh no you're gonna be scared to do anything yeah and and like man like i gotta say like it it, i see it sometimes people like are hesitant and Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's because i'm a scary guy i I hope not (laughs) 
but I just, <laughs> no, no. I just wish people would like be, I don't know, just not just do what you want to do and like oh, it's tough. It's tough. I, I just feel like we don't do enough, especially with kids, to encourage them oh, to yeah. just like take a chance and just go for it. Kids are they have especially when you're a kid, you have so much potential. Like mm-hmm. you could you're so creative and you just draw you just do you just do whatever you want to do and it's like Mm -hmm. if it's graphic design even from a young age it could like for me i transitioned from like liking cartoons and the way flash or superman was drawn on tv that's kind of like okay comic books are interesting you know you can see the illustration yeah um but it's everywhere typography and like layout and like mm-hmm. the, the balance and the hierarchy of a comic man, you know, I right. never really thought about how much like traditional hard nosed graphic design is involved in a comic. It's like, <laughs> it's like it's like such an awesome it's expression of all of that. Mm-hmm. Wow, huh? It's, it's everything. It's literally everywhere, and you can. Yeah, I mean that that's a little more expected than um, comic books, but I mean maybe like. Uh, music album covers very popular in hip-hop and the hip uh the rap scene it's all about really cool flashy album covers there's been a whole emergence of graphic designers that just design specialize in album covers recently really yeah. so so surprising because like it, it's like everything you always hear oh things are going digital HMV is closing. Sam the Record Man is closing. No one's buying hard copies of albums. And yet, this industry, what? why do you think that is? It feels like every two weeks there's a new artist always wanting to show what he's capable of. That's where you get this whole emergence of just designers. Because they're always looking for album covers and designers, you know? You know, I'm just thinking about this now. Like, the, the visual language of music, like what a song looks like. Mm-hmm. The, like the auditory mood is connected to a visual mood and they have to like work together it's a feedback loop because your impression of a musician is shaped by the way they look right literally and like, literally and and like you know i was just i was just thinking do you watch saturday night live mm-hmm. yeah i watch it sometimes <laughs> okay well they had um little nas x on it last week and i like i don't know a whole lot about his music but mm-hmm. i know old town road and yeah, I know. yeah yeah which is like a country song but then mm-hmm. he played like he did like a pop song and he like inhabited a completely different visual identity for his first song on saturday night live where he was wearing like almost like like a 90s like um female artist sort of like almost like shakira's kind of vibe and then after okay. that he was like in an all-white suit doing a really classy um like classic bluesy jazz thing and it's like it all came together like into a package for that one song, oh, and like David Bowie does that with his personas, yeah. and like Elton John does that with his personas, and like yeah. to hear you like kind of bring it up is like oh, it's it's all a complete design package. Yeah, like it all feels like it all feels complete, just complete connected, and. Like, when you go back and really listen to it, it's like, oh, man, like, okay, I really get the meaning now, you know? Feels complete. Oh, man, and, like, and I wonder how, like, on the back end of these things, 
is it like a team coming together, do you think? Or is it like one person, one person's vision? I'm sure it varies from, from team to team, right? I think I think it's a team effort because not all artists are going to be, you know, are going to have that keen design that I design. Okay, it has to be like this, you know. I feel like maybe there's advisors and then graphic designs working together with the artist. Hmm. I wish I knew more about this. That's my that's my best bet for this one. Yeah, me me too. I mean, I'm thinking about the closest thing I can imagine is like web design and you have like your photographers, your graphic designers, your UX guys, your UI guys, your front end dev, your back end dev and like mm-hmm. like, you know, if I'm co- if you're making a web page for like Joe's lawn care, you don't need all that. But if you're doing like, oh, you a, a huge company, need it right Mm -hmm. so like maybe all industries have these sort of confluence of ability Mm, and it's like it can come off as like one person designed it but it's at least maybe 20 people behind it you know right yeah i mean just like it looks like oh this agency creates created this beautiful billboard and it's like yeah but if it was for eden it would (laughs) it would not exist right and it never made it off the computer screen (laughs) And nobody knows. Now we know. Now we know. <laughs> now, now we all know. <laughs> okay, it's awesome. Do you want me to cover more tips for designer? Even the students love tips from people who work in the industry, and mm-hmm. especially if it's like no one told me this in school. <laughs> it's quite a bit. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Never send a file just all by itself for maybe like. Let's say you have a banner that just says maybe coming soon. And if you just design and you outline all the text and you send it over, that means we can't change the text, right? And sometimes the client can be, okay, we want to change the text, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that- it just has to be done manually. You know, it's, it's not too much work, but it's just an extra step that... If you don't have the font... It's a, it's a lot it's a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, if you don't have the font, it's it can get really tricky. So you got to email the client, and the client has to email the designer, and then the designer has to wake up from their nap and change the file, <laughs> and, and right, and then send it back to um, the client, and then the client has to send it back to you. And all the while, you're watching the the clock tick because the printer is like, hey. If we don't print this in the next yeah. day, it's not going to make something grand opening. You know, I don't blame designers. Uh, that's just how we think. It's just in our nature. But, you know, when talking about pre-press, it's, it's a whole different game. Pro- I mean, promptness is a big one. It, like We try to enforce due dates in college just to prep people for the realities of the print industry and, and you know, how... Um, how that works. I mean, I, I can share kind of one tip. If you're a designer and your printer says they need the file by by like Thursday so that I can okay. go out next Monday, you, you could try telling the client that they have to finalize the design on Tuesday so that when this when you do make this mistake, you have that uh-huh. buffer. So Eden can get back to Eric and say, hey, Eric, you've got a typo, but you outlined the fonts. I need you to fix it. And you kind of uh-huh. have that extra Oh, that's that's really good. Actually, Sometimes. Eric, that's really good work. That uh, work ethic. Well, it's it's 
I feel bad kind of misrepresenting, but in a way it's not misrepresenting because it's like saying um, Mm -hmm. something could go wrong and let's plan for it. Something can always go wrong, you know? You're never too prepared. Yeah. What about file naming? Like you you get a file and it's called like print print one banner high res final final version three. Oh god kind of <laughs> sounds like you described a nightmare already if a file just has a let's say picture of a skyline mm-hmm. the file name could just be sjwv25 you know it so you kind of get an idea you know what it is but it just creates that little confusion that you know you could have avoided it would have been better if the file was named properly what kind of things would you want to see in the file name to make it easier to do your job yes that's a really good question eric i've been that was a question that i that i was missing something that's really important is just naming just what it is just tell especially the size inches millimeters what do you inches millimeters feet meters do you care um, the only thing we use are inches. Inches are the easier. Yeah. 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 Okay. So in inches, the size, what it is. So like bus banner, 18 by 12, uh, maybe the company name. And with the right size. And Eden, you've got 10 jobs on the go for three different clients for, you know, multiple different deployments, right? So like, it's not like you just have this one file on your mind. You're dealing right, with multiple right. things, right? Right. It's just, it's a whole, it's a big queue going on, you know? It's, I get the file, okay, you see five gigs next to it, right? And then you open it up, and just everything is super slow, super slow. Remember, guys, reduce the file size. Reduce (laughs) the file size. That's very, very important. Everyone needs to educate themselves a little bit better on what resolutions actually mean and what DPI actually means mm-hmm. and what color, color, like 8-bit, 32-bit, 16-bit colors, like what is actually required. Do you ever get, do you still get people sending you files in RGB when they should be CMYK? They still send RGB colors, which is just kind of like, okay. You know, it's again, like one of those little things. It's no worries. We can always change the RGB to CMYK from the computer. Um, what about, what do you do with uh, when you get people specking a pantone swatch oh god <laughs> the conversions don't always work do they oh no like sometimes you get a number and it doesn't match even online it's <laughs> oh man if it was as easy as using cmyk mm-hmm. to get the, to get the standardization and the predictability that pantone offers then there would be no pantone right right i mean clients understand but designers who can't understand this mm. try, I don't, I don't, it's like, it's kind of like every, you know how they always say like, everyone should have to work in customer service for a little bit. Like every designer oh, should have yeah. to work pre-press. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Pantone is one thing that I personally struggle to explain to clients. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, we use Pantone Red, I don't know, 382. Okay, it's not going to come out that, that shade of red unless you want to pay this much. And then it's just, no one understands I, I... <laughs> that's just the cycle of confusion that's just going on but the pantone what you have to do when you get a pantone some clients wants to you know match a pantone want it to look a certain color with the pantone you have to get the color from the book uh the pantone book uh usually it's a solid one the coded 
from there you grab a giant sheet that has at least 90 plus phantom colors on it and you have to match it to that one you'll just print out a giant sheet of red like different colors of red on cmyk and then like pick the one that's the closest possible actually it's even more efficient because you do the order and then you send it to the client the client approves um, you take the color, the Pantone color out, mm-hmm. and then it's just a giant banner, uh, just a giant poster that has all the colors, all the Pantone on it. Um, it's pretty wide. It's a big roll. <laughs> it's a big roll. Wild. Yeah. I have a Pantone swatch some, somewhere. But you have one? I yeah, I have, I have the swatch, like the, you know, it's like the size of a water bottle, like that, that one. Oh, it's tiny. But they're like, they're like a couple hundred dollars. Are you serious? Holy crap! And I and I bought mine years ago, so yeah, I would say one or two hundred bucks. If you think <laughs> about it, if if there's if there's five hundred colors, it's a five hundred spot job. Yeah. Think about. <laughs> I mean, just think about. It. I mean, the way they do it is it's a massive spot color. Just, it's a nightmare. That's massive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you get you get that order on your desk and it's just like oh god I'm calling in sick I'm calling in sick <laughs> do you do you print oh yeah I asked about um spots like uh, metallics mm. or anything or foils um do you handle those files at all so that's something I encountered like when you prepare the file mm-hmm. um when you name the file like regmark or maybe Spot color, metal. When like the printer will actually read that. Like when you name the you mean when you name the spot. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so if I want to get foil, then I should go and create a new spot color, whether you're an InDesign or Illustrator, call it foil, mm-hmm. put it on its own layer, and maybe name the layer mm. foil and then send it to Eden. Is that That's a little bit more complicated. <laughs> but uh most people just send the files and uh, they send the file flat. Okay. And they just tell us on the order that okay, they wanted vinyl or okay metal. Yeah, and all of that, all the material part gets taken care of in the back, but we just set it up for that material specifically. Okay. So, so you would just rely on the client's verbal instructions to prep the file. Yeah, and there's techniques you learn, so you kind of know it's like okay, if you want vinyl, it has to be set up with dots and you know crops mm. and if it's and if someone wants let's say like a flag from like front back double sided mm-hmm. um there's also a different setup for that you'd set it up uh you'd have the crops and then the same image flipped in together so there's different techniques uh we can use that the client doesn't have to really you know specify like that mm. Sometimes I would get files where there'd be like trim marks and they would include also the edge of the bleed. So you kind of have like two sets of crop marks and then you see the CMYK, the four squares of color. And then you see like registration marks on all four Mm. sides. When people export the file that way, are they just kind of wasting everyone's time? Yeah, they're wasting everyone's time. (laughs) You open it up and it's like every time I'm just like, come on, man. You, you know you know what absolutely grinds my gears <laughs> is when you're like checking out a, a menu on the uh, on the internet and yeah. you open the PDF and it's mm. got all that on it 
No. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? Oh, I haven't seen, but why? That's hilarious. I just someone someone just doesn't understand that there's like the print file, like the digital use file, and the um, oh my god, and you know I I see things where it's like clearly a print file, as in like 300 DPI images, and it's like you know it could be a 10 page menu on this website. So like if you're loading it up, and it's like it's like you're watching the images load up because they're so huge. Just high resolution, and it's like slowly, like yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you're scrolling, and it's like there's all these crop marks, and it's just like oh, I can't, I can't look at this. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I think designers need to get better at learning the sorts of things that you know, eating because mm-hmm. there's not always someone there to clean up your mess. And no, no, I just want to add one thing, and it's just like you know, it's like when you're designing in school and. It's all just for school, right? Yeah. But it's like once you get out there, it's it's real. You gotta be, you gotta be a little bit more careful, you know. If if it goes bad, it's like twenty million people are gonna view it downtown. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you walk around the city a lot? And you're like, yeah, I worked on that file. I printed that. Oh man, all the Eric, all the time, all the time. I'm gonna start looking and for your work. So Astral, anything Astral could have been eaten. Yes, anything you see, like, uh, like, even the iPhone 12 poster, there's one downtown. Yeah. Yeah, for the new one, I worked on it. Where is it? Like, like Young and Dundas Square? Like, um, you know, you know, St. George Station? Yeah. Um, so if you take the St. George exit, okay. I think there's a building over there. There's a, some type of art museum. Yep. But on the wall at the very top, there's an iPhone 12 ad, and it's like, whoa, I spent 20 minutes at work doing this. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. That That's so cool. I, I, I had the same conversation with my friend um, Randall, where we were saying, like, one of the coolest things about this is about this job, this business is like, you, you're like, oh, my buddy did that. Oh, I did that. Everywhere you go, <laughs> you know, and, and like, it's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's it's cool. It's cool, and it's one of the coolest parts about this job that it's like you get to physically see what you did. You know, like here's a question: Have you spotted anyone in the wild wearing your clothing line yet? Nah, that's gonna feel good. It's gonna happen, and it's gonna feel good. It's gonna be even better. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.